Bible reading of God's Word from Matthew chapter 12, beginning at verse 38 to 41. The sign of Jonah. Then some of the Pharisees and teachers of the law said to him, Teacher, we want to see a miraculous sign from you. He answered, A wicked and adulterous generation asks for a miraculous sign, but none will be given it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of a huge fish, so the Son of Man will be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The men of Nineveh will stand up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it, for they repented at the preaching of Jonah, and now one greater than Jonah is here. Here is the reading of God's word. Well, a very good morning again. Uh, It's good to be with you. Uh, Thank you for the reading of God's word. Uh, I'm going to pray again. Uh, We we need God's help um, as we come to his word to help us to hear it as it comes to us. Uh, So why don't you close your eyes as we pray. Father, we, we thank you that you speak through all parts of your word. As we come to the book of Jonah, Lord, we pray that you might give us your heart, your heart for people, the lost around us, You might convict us of our complacency. And Lord, we pray that you might speak and we might hear what you have to say to us this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Uh, Well, this this is my my daughter's favorite story in the Bible. Um, She loves the story of Grumpy Jonah. Um, My wife also comes from a small town called Hermanus. I don't know if you've been there. I guess you could call it a bit of a whale town, I guess. If people go there to look at the whales... If you've ever been there before, uh, you might have remember seeing this big whale in the market square. I think it's on the second slide. Just maybe go there. Um, next one. You might have seen this whale there. It's ta- been taken away, but this is the whale. Uh, one afternoon, Joni and I were looking after a, a, a boy named Josh, and he decided he really wanted to take a, f- a photo in this whale. So we took a photo, and as we were leaving uh, the marketplace, and we were talking about how funny it was to have Josh in the well and take a photo. And this old woman came by, stopped her car, rolled down the window and said, Excuse me, it was Jonah and the whale, not Josh and the whale. Um, uh, we laughed, we giggled to ourselves. Um, I think this just goes to illustrate that uh, everyone knows about the story of Jonah and the big fish. Whereas most people understand that Jonah and the whale It's probably one of the most uh, well-known stories from the Bible. Uh, Jonah's story can be seen in stained glass windows, sculptures, mu- musicals, dramas. It's a story, a story about a man in a fish has captured the imagination of poets and novelists, painters, and songwriters, architects, the toy makers, everything you will find in Jonah and the fish. A few stories in the Bible have, have been captured so widely. Let me show you a few of them. Uh, here's a stained glass window from a church in Netherlands. Uh, but Jonah coming out of the big fish. Uh, here's a bit of a scarier one. This is a mosaic by Walter Habdank. Um, so close your eyes if you are a bit squeamish. That's Jonah and the fish. Um, Jonah has made himself um, known in other areas. This is two pulpits in Poland. Um, just have a look here. If you're looking for a revamp, 
And this is what maybe Simon can, Simon can preach from one of these pulpits from the whale. Uh, Jonah's story has even made it into Disney, the Disney movie, uh, and Pinocchio. Uh, they kind of captured that story. See, Jonah is everywhere. Jonah is best known for the, being the prophet who ran away from God who was swallowed by a big fish. But can I tell you this morning that the point of Jonah's story isn't simply watch out. If you run from God, he'll find you. Instead, we see in Jonah's story a life of contrast. Contrasting Jonah's heart with God's heart. The heart of a self-preserving prophet and the heart of a missionary God. A lot of focus has been on the big fish, but what I want to show you, rather this morning, something greater, something a lot bigger this morning, I want to show you that the story of Jonah is more about a big God who has a big heart for lost people. I want you to walk away this morning convinced, utterly convinced that God loves the lost. And and he's also made a way for the lost to be saved. And he also calls you this morning to have that same heart. Well, let's look at the story. And we're going to look at the whole book of Jonah. So we're going to be here till lunchtime. I hope you brought lunch. No, I'm joking. We're going to work our way systematically through it. Well, our story begins appropriately with God's word that comes to the prophet Jonah. Have a look. at It should be on the screen. I've got the verses up. So if you want to follow there. Uh, 1 verse 1. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it, because its wickedness has come up before me. Now you would expect at this point in the story, for the prophet of God, who's been given the word of God, to go where God has called him to go. That's the next step. That's the next logical step in the story. But Jonah has other plans. Have a look at verse 3. But Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed for Tarshish. He went down to Joppa, where he found a ship bound for the port. After paying the fare, he went aboard and sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. See, Jonah hops into a boat, and he sails in the exact opposite direction to Nineveh. He kind of gets onto the N1 pole instead of the N1 Cape Town. He drives completely opposite direction. And at this point, we don't get any indication why he's running away. We don't know why he's running away, but I guess he's just been told to go into enemy territory... And tell really wicked people to repent. That sounds like something that I would probably run away from. But we'll have to, to see what the real reason is. This might be the reason where we have to find out. So the opening scene in the story of Jonah builds some tension, doesn't it? What will happen to the prophet who runs away? What will happen to Nineveh if the prophet doesn't go there? How will God respond to this wayward prophet? Oh, we don't have to wait long to get the answer. Have a look at verse 4. Then the Lord sent a great wind on the sea, and such a violent storm arose that the ship threatened to break up. The storm is so great that experienced sailors are afraid of it. They're afraid that the ship will break apart, and so they start crying out to their gods, and they start hurling things overboard. Can you see it in your mind's eye? This great storm has arisen. But down in the inner parts of of the ship, Jonah's lying sleeping. And Jonah has done every effort to escape from God. He's gone down to Joppa, down into the ship, down into the inner chambers, down into the inner sleep. Do you see what the narrator is trying to tell you? So far he's trying to escape from God and and what God has called him to do. But the thing is, God knows where he is. (laughs) Verse 6. The captain went and asked him and said, How can you sleep? 
Get up and call on your God. Maybe he will take notice of us so that we will not perish. So the men, they decide to cast lots to see who's causing them all the issues because this, this storm arose out of nothing. And of course, we know as the, as the readers that it's Jonah. And then they find out as the lots fall on Jonah. Jonah admits to them that he has been running away from God, but not just any God. Have a look at verse 9. He answered, I am a Hebrew and I worship the Lord, the God of heaven, heaven who made the sea and the dry land. <laughs> he tried to escape on the sea. He's, he's, he, he belongs to the God who made the sea. Verse 10, this terrified them and asked, what have you done? They knew he was running away from the Lord because he had already told them so. Jonah tells them to throw him overboard. The sailors are reluctant at first as they've just been told that he belongs to the God who creates heaven and earth and everything in it. So they do everything they can to overcome the storm. But the raging seas, they force their hand. They pray and they forgi- for forgiveness and hurl him overboard. And in an instant, the sea is calm again. And here in, the, in this little boat, in the middle of nowhere, God's heart starts to shine through the raging storm, doesn't it? These pagan sailors who were at first worshippers of other gods, as we've seen, now they worship and pray to Yahweh, the one true God, sacrificing to him. They recognize that Jonah's God is the creator God. They see it. The God who, when you call out to him, he saves you. They realize this. Have a look at verse 15 and 16. Then they took Jonah and threw him overboard, and the raging sea grew calm. At this, the men greatly feared the Lord. They offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows to him. See, these pagan sailors are in stark contrast to Jonah's heart. Jonah never prays at all during the whole storm. He would rather die than go to Nineveh and obey God. But you see God's heart again? God shows even more grace to his rebellious prophets. As Jonah kind of sinks down to his death, God raises up a great fish to swallow up Jonah. Jonah has at this point moved from death to life and not because he deserved it. Not because he deserved it. And having been rescued by this great fish, he prays. Now, chapter 2 is all about Jonah's prayer, which tells us less about the prophet and actually more about who God is. And he speaks of the God who rescues, the God who brings people up from the depth of Sheol, which is the place of the dead. Just have a look at verse 5 to 7. I think it captures who God is. The engulfing waters threatened me. The deep surrounded me. Seaweed was wrapping around my head. To the roots of the mountains I sank down. To the earth beneath barred me in forever. But you, Lord my God, brought me life from up from the pit. When my life was ebbing away, I remembered you, Lord. And my prayers rose to you, to your holy temple. Salvation belongs to the Lord. And as a physical representation of this rescue, the great fish vomits him out onto dry land. And can I say the most profound thing happens for Jonah? That doesn't always happen for God's prophets. God graciously gives the rebellious prophets 
his word for the second time. He didn't need to do that. Have a look at 3, verse 1 and 2. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. I think the narrator wants to hear that. Go. Go to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim to it the message I give you. Not only is God gracious in giving Jonah a second opportunity, but this doubling of God's command to go to Nineveh shows where God's heart is at. He would even use a rebellious prophet to to go give them his word. And at this point, the story seems back on track, doesn't it? We've we've taken a bit of a detour with the whole ship and the the big fish, but Jonah is finally along with the program. Have a look at verse 3 and 4. Jonah obeyed the word of the Lord and went to Nineveh. Now, Nineveh was a very large city. It took three days to go through it. Jonah began to go began by going a day's journey into the city, proclaiming 40 more days and Nineveh will be overturned or overthrown. So Jonah walks one day into the city, which the narrator wants us to know takes three days to walk through, and he preaches the shortest sermon in the history of sermons, right? He couldn't bother to go any deeper into the city a day or two more. He couldn't bother to elaborate more on the message. His message is almost the bare minimum. And we weren't sure in the beginning why Jonah ran away. But I think here we start seeing his heart being exposed more and more as the story unfolds. But you see, Jonah's plan doesn't work, does it? Have a look at chapter 3, verse 5 to 10. The Ninevites believed God. A fast was proclaimed, and all of them, from the greatest to the least, put on sackcloth. When Jonah's warning reached the king of Nineveh, he rose from his throne, took off his royal robes, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat down in the dust. This is the proclamation issued in Nineveh. By the decree of the king and his nobles... Do not let people or animals, herds or flocks taste anything. Do not let them eat or drink. But let people and animals be covered with sackcloth. Let everyone call urgently on God. Let them give up their evil ways and their violence. Who knows? God may yet relent and with compassion compassion turn from his fierce anger so that we will not perish. When God saw what they did and how they turned from the evil ways, he relented. And did not bring on them the destruction he had threatened. See, in response to Jonah's short sermon, all of the Ninevites, from greatest to the least, fall on their face in humble repentance to God's word. And whether Jonah liked it or not, he became the instrument by which God orchestrated one of the greatest revivals in the history of the world. A whole city turned in one day from the least to the greatest. In fact, Jonah's message of overturning of the city has actually come true. See, overturning can either mean destruction like Sodom and Gomorrah were overturned, or overturning can mean transformation or change into the opposite. It's like the word um, rise, right? You, you raise a city. Either you raise it up or you raise it to the ground. That, that, those are the two concepts. So his word actually came true. They, they were overturned in repentance and faith. Jonah's words came true 
But here's, here is where we see his heart. Here's the crux of it. Jonah's words came true in a way that he didn't intend them to. In, jo- in chapter 1, we're still questioning his motives for him running away. But in chapter 4, his motives cannot be hidden anymore. And just like the big fish vomited Jonah out, the truth kind of comes vomiting out of Jonah's mouth, doesn't it? Have a look at chapter 4, verse 1. But to Jonah, this seemed very wrong. And he became angry. He prayed to the Lord, Isn't this what I said, Lord, when I was still at home? That is what I tried to forestall by fleeing to Tarshish. I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. Now, Lord, take away my life, for it is better for me to die than to live. Here's the truth. Jonah hadn't run away because he was afraid that the Ninevites would reject his message. He ran away because he was afraid that they would accept his message. He couldn't stomach the thoughts that God might actually save these evil people. He throws God's description of himself, which was revealed in the Exodus, back in his face. I knew that this is the type of God you are. And here we see the the biggest contrast of hearts. God loves to show grace to his enemies when Jonah didn't. Jonah didn't want to go. It took a miracle to move Jonah. But God is always moved towards the sinner. God is always moved towards the lost. The, the great reformer, Martin Luther, he comments on God's grace to the Ninevites here, saying this, This is a wonderful, sweet expression of the divine majesty. This is a very complete promise of the incomprehensible goodness and mercy of God. This shows us how much God does not desire the death of a sinner. He desires rather that the sinner might convert, be converted and live. Jonah leaves the repentant city in disgust and he sits outside of the city wanting to see, I think at this point, to see if God would relent from his relenting. And I think, interestingly, Jonah acts like the older brother in the parable of the prodigal son here. So in that parable of the prodigal son that Jesus tells, the rebellious lost son has returned from his wandering ways and the older brother doesn't rejoice with the rest of the family, doesn't eat with the, the, the family inside, but rather sits outside, not wanting to celebrate, not wanting to go into the party because the lost son has returned, the father has forgiven his son. Jonah, like the older brother, he sits on the outside of the city, not, re- not rejoicing in God's mercy and grace, but despising it. He despises God's grace. And God asks Jonah if his anger is justified. And so God decides to show Jonah a bit of a practical lesson. As Jonah sits outside of the city, God provides this beautiful vine that grows up around him to shield him from the elements. And Jonah really appreciates this. Thank you, Lord, how gracious you are, right? But God appoints another one of his mighty beasts, the worm, to come and teach Jonah a lesson. Have a look at chapter 4, verse 7. But at dawn the next day, God provided a worm which chewed the plants so that it withered. When the sun rose, God provided a scorching east wind and the sun blazed on Jonah's head so that he grew faint. 
He wanted to die, and he said, it would be better for me to die than to live. That's a very common theme in Jonah's language, right? He would rather die. He just wants to die. How could God, who graciously gave me this plant, take it away from me? And here we get God's lesson, I think, which is a striking lesson. Have a look at verse 9. But God said to Jonah, Is it right for you to be angry against, uh, about the plant? It is, he said. And I'm so angry I wish I was dead. Right? Third time he's, he's wished he was dead. Uh, verse 10. But the Lord said, You have been concerned about this plant, though you did not tend it or make it grow. It sprang up overnight and died overnight. And should I not have concern for the great city of Nineveh, in which there are more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left, and so many animals? See, Jonah got more worked up over plants than he did for 120,000 people who were created in God's image, who didn't know who God was. And isn't it an indictment, a sad truth, that even Christians today get so worked up over so many good causes, the fighting against animal rights, all these good things, but couldn't be bothered for the souls of their neighbors, more concerned and talk more passionately about COVID than conversations about Christ, more worked up over load shedding than loving their neighbor and sharing the lordship of Christ. It's an indictment on us. On me? See, God's compassion and mercy has been evident throughout the whole story so far. Sparing the pagan sailors, saving a rebellious prophet, forgiving an evil city. This story not only shows us the heart of God, but it shows us the heart of the gospel of God. I'm going to show you this, the stained glass window again that I showed you earlier. Uh, in this, I don't know if you can see, in this um, stained glass window, uh, Jonah is actually pointing to a Latin sign, um, and it say, the Latin sign says, Behold, something greater is, in Jonah is here. I think the banner captures something of what Matthew's gospel captures. I think he understood Matthew 12 when he was doing this particular piece of art. And in this chapter, in chapter 12, uh, Jesus is addressing the scribes and Pharisees who throughout Matthew 12 has, have criticized his teaching and his miracles. And Jesus is asked for a miracle sign to prove who he says he is. Show us more signs. Show us more miraculous signs for the skeptics. But Jesus says that he will not give them a powerful sign that they are looking for, but rather he will give them the sign of Jonah and this is the sign of Jonah that Jesus is, is speaking about. And just as Jonah was cast into the heart of the water to save the sailors from wrath of God, so Jesus will be cast into death to bear all the punishment that our sin deserves. Jesus, Matthew says, will be put into the heart of the earth. And just as Jesus came, uh, Jonah came back, from the dead, so Jesus will rise three days later for our justification and give us new life so that we can hear God's word. See, the heart of the gospel is Jesus being cast into and being vomited out of death so that evil, rebellious people like you and I might hear his word and repent and turn to him. See, this is the sign the Jewish leaders were not looking for or even wanted. 
it's clear here, but it's a sign they needed that Jesus says. It's a sign that we need today. It's a sign that our world needs today. Jesus says to the Jewish experts that they could learn something from the Ninevites. Isn't that interesting, this evil city? That wouldn't have landed well for the Pharisees, I'm guessing. See, the Ninevites heard Jonas preaching and repented. And Jesus says that those who hear hear his words should do the same. Because the words of Jesus and the person of Jesus is far greater than Jonah and his words. See, he is not just another prophet or teacher, but he is the eternal word made flesh. A word that wasn't afraid to dwell with his enemies like Jonah was. A word that eventually became a rejected word. A word that was sent to the depths of Sheol like Jonah was. But a word that speaks beyond the grave. A word that speaks of salvation. A word that brings salvation and transformation just like it did for the great city Nineveh. See, this word... Jesus, a true encounter with Jesus will transform you and transform nations and extend the boundaries of God's kingdom. That is what Jesus does. You see, a sign of Jonah, Jesus has come into the world and he seeks a response from you. He does. And I wonder, as you hear it this morning, will you turn from your sin? Will you turn and hear his word and trust in the one who died for you and redeemed you and that you are in and that your reality is that you will be raised to life again? That you are currently seated with him in the heavenly realms? Don't continue to refuse his word. Or maybe sitting here you have received his word but you are a little bit reluctant to tell others. See, this sign of Jonah, the heart of the gospel, the death and resurrection of Jesus, needs to be taken to the nations. It needs to be heard because the day of judgment is coming when God will not relent anymore. See, the book ends with a series of questions directed at Jonah, leaving us considering these words ringing in our own ears. Here's Jonah sitting outside with another stone glass window. Um, This is him sitting under a tree looking into the great city. And as you see Jonah sitting there looking over the great city, you can hear God saying to him, Should I not pity Nineveh, that great city? Well, what about the next slide? What about our great city? As you look at that city, should we not pity our great city? Full of rebellious people? One who were once like us and from different nations who need to hear the gospel, who need to see the sign of Jonah which Jesus fulfills. See, the good news of the wildness of God's mercy should shape us to the core and should move us to action. See, Jonah ran away from his enemies, but Christ ran towards us. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Surely we should be concerned for the people around us. Even the worst in our society, we should be concerned for them. See, Nineveh was a great evil city. And if God is concerned for them, shouldn't we be concerned for them? No matter their race, no matter their nationality, no matter how bad they are, we should, see, we should desire that all would be saved. 
And that no racial or social or ethnic or national boundaries can disqualify a person from God's love, our love. Surely, as people who have tasted the grace of God, this should be the thing that drives us and shapes us and what the things that we dream about and plan for more than anything else in our life. I don't know where you are in your stage of your life, but surely this should be on, on our agenda. This should shape us. So let us not shrink back as we hear the call to make disciples of all nations. I'm so glad you have this up here, right? How appropriate is this? Go and make disciples of all nations. And I thought it's appropriate for us to close with this famous quote from William Booth, which I hope it will stir your heart as God's word is stirred. You listen to these words. It says, put your ear down to the Bible and hear him bid you go and pull sinners out of the fire of sin. Put your ear down to the burdened, agonized heart of humanity and listen to its painful, painful wail for help. Go stand by the gates of hell and hear the damned entreat you to go to their father's house and bid their brothers and sisters and servants and masters not to come there. Then look to Christ in, look Christ in the face, whose mercy you have professed to obey, and tell him whether you will join heart and soul and body and circumstances in the march to publish his mercy to the world. Will you do it? Let me pray for us. Father, in the story of Jonah, which is really about highlighting your heart for lost people, we pray that we might have your heart. Heart for the people around this area, heart for those in our neighborhoods, that we would open up the word of God, that we would trust you, but that you would be working by your spirit to change people for eternity. May your heart be our heart. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.